Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here. Today is the first Sunday of the new year. The, the season of being jolly, merry, and bright has, has mostly passed us by. Now tis the season of New Year's resolutions. And while there's nothing inherently different about this time of year that makes it any better for making uh, commitments or setting goals, something about having a, a fresh calendar, uh, a fresh planner, or a blank slate for the new year helps us get motivated uh, to start things off right. So across the country, people are resolving themselves to exercise more, to eat healthier, to get out of debt, to clear out the, the clutter in their lives, to be more organized, or to, to spend time, uh, more time with their families. Uh, maybe some of you have, have made a, a New Year's resolution. And while all of those commitments are, are good, I want to ask the question today, how often do we set spiritual goals in our lives? You know, as Christians, if there's anything that we need to, to make some commitments about, if there's anything that, that we need to focus on growing and improving in, should it not be our spiritual lives, our relationship and service to God? If there's anything that we need more direction, more accountability, more drive, more focused effort, or more resolve in, it should be our spiritual growth. And yet, sometimes we are very detailed and specific about making plans for our physical health or our finances, and we're, we're just kind of drifting along on autopilot in our spiritual lives. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul compares our spiritual life to a race or an athletic competition. And I want to read uh, again that passage that Jonathan just read for us, starting in verse 24. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable but wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So here he pictures us as Christians, as athletes, as competitors who are training ourselves to run this race in life. And he talks about how our reward, the, the finish line that we are seeking, is much more important than the finish line that any physical competitor would seek after. And so how much more do we need to exercise discipline and self-control? How much more do we need to have a, a drive to train ourselves spiritually? Verse 25 in the King James Version, when it talks about those who compete in the games, the King James says those who strive for mastery in the games. Uh, and I think that should describe us as Christians. You know, if, if I were to ask the question, how many of you want to be a mediocre Christian? How many want to be a half-hearted Christian? I, I don't think we'd get many people who jump up and, and get excited about that. No, we want to be the best servants for God that we can. And that's the attitude that Paul is urging us to have here. But the aspect of this passage that I want to focus on is what we see here in verse 26. 
He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Just like that physical athlete has a, a focus, an aim that he is, is striving for, we need to have a, a clear aim, a clear goal in our spiritual lives, clear direction and focus to help us grow the way that God wants us to do. Have you ever been in the gym and seen somebody who has no aim to what they're doing? When I think about somebody having no aim, this is what comes to mind for me. I saw this GIF the other day. Somebody who clearly has no aim and no idea what they are doing here. But the main question that I want us to ask today, I didn't just put this in for, for kicks and giggles. The main question that I want us to ask is, does this describe me in my spiritual life? Does that describe me in my spiritual life? Am I running without aim, boxing as at the air, going in circles without any clear goal, without any clear direction in my spiritual life? And you might think, well, I, I know I don't want to be that guy, but, but what do I need to do? How do we give aim and purpose and direction and focus to our spiritual lives? What type of goals do we need to set? How can we develop a clearer direction? And so today I want us to consider four types of goals that we should be setting in our spiritual lives. And, and I think we could all say, well, well my goal is heaven. That, that's the finish line. That's the wreath that Paul is talking about here, and that's true. But if we are going to run with aim, uh, we need to have a little bit more focus than just saying, I want to get to heaven. Or I want to grow spiritually. We need to let that then direct the type of goals that we set from day to day. And the type of things that we are working towards. And so let's talk about some areas of spiritual resolution today. The first thing that I want us to consider is relationship goals. Uh, and this is an area that is not uncommon for New Year's resolutions. Many people might take, make relationship goals. I want to improve my marriage. I want to devote more time to my kids. But relationship goals are often lacking in the most important relationship of our lives, our relationship with God. Have we set any relationship goals between us and the Lord? How well... Do you know God? I'm not asking how much information you can recite about God or, or how much uh, you are versed in theology. How intimately acquainted are you with God, with his character, with his passions, with his likes and dislikes, his desires for your life? Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9. Uh, I think it's just been uh, maybe about a month ago that uh, Dave looked over this passage with us. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. And here we see what needs to be our top priority in life. Verse 23, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, 
that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. You know, we might be inclined to, to make goals for our education, to make goals for our finances, to make goals for our fitness and health. But here, Jeremiah tells us, the, the Lord tells us, that what is most important is not our wisdom, is not our might, is not our riches, but it is our knowledge of God. Do I know the Lord? This is the most foundational goal of the Christian life, is to come to know, to understand God, what he is like, what is within his heart. Hosea chapter 6, verse 3 through 6, and verse 3 we read, So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And down in verse 6 is where I want to focus on. Hosea 6 and verse 6. God says, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. Brethren, God is deeply invested in our relationship with him. He has shown us how invested he is by sending his own son to die for us. But he desires for us to be just as invested in that relationship. What he desires from us most of all is not just outward acts of worship. What he desires is for our hearts to truly be invested in coming to know him and having an intimate relationship with him. We can be faithful in our attendance, we can be sound in our doctrine, we can be scholarly in our Bible study and still be completely void of the knowledge of God. We aren't cultivating a genuine relationship with him. How do we come to know God? How do we develop that type of relationship with him? I, I think we, we know the answers. Most fundamentally, we allow God to communicate to us through his word. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 2, starting here in verse 9, Paul is, is talking about how we cannot presume to know the things of God. He talks about things that are hidden from the eye that ear has not heard. And yet in verse 10, it says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man, except there the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. In our society, uh, many like to try to read the mind of God. You know, well, my idea of God is that he would like this. You know, I really think that God would approve of such and such. Are we guilty of that? Here, 
Paul makes it very clear that we can't presume to know the mind of God. It is only through the Spirit that we can come to know God, because the Spirit, he says, searches even the deep things of God, the very depths of God. And God, in his grace, has given us that Spirit. That Spirit that was leading Paul to even write these very words. And so we see that God, through inspiration, through revelation, has revealed his mind, the very depths of himself, to us. In chapter, or in verse 16, we read, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Right here, within these words revealed by the Spirit, we have the mind of Almighty God. We have the thoughts of our Creator recorded for us. The Bible, ultimately, is the autobiography of God. From the very beginning, what do we read? In the beginning, God. It is the story of God and His interaction with mankind. And more than merely being a book of of rules and doctrines, it is a book of God's personal revelation of himself to us. And that really is the foundation of any rule, of any law, of any doctrine, is the character of God himself. The character of God is what makes love right and good. The character of God is what makes truth right and good. Because God is love, because God is When we come to God's word, we need to allow God to communicate himself to us. You know, have you ever thought if if the New Testament is the, the fullness of God's plan for mankind today, then why is three fourths of our Bible Old Testament? I think what we see is that throughout the Old Testament, God is revealing himself to us. And God's character has not changed. He does not change. And so what we read of God in the Old Testament, what we read about his character, about what pleases him, about his interaction towards mankind, is revealing the character, the the desires, the, the feelings, the thoughts, the principles of Almighty God to us. We need to train ourselves to see Scripture in that light. Because we can spend uh, hours reading over God's word without ever coming to know God if we are not truly seeking God within his word. We need to read his word with a desire to come to understand his heart, to come to understand his mind, his thoughts, who he is, so that we can develop a genuine relationship with him. And along with that, Coming to know God involves allowing or or communicating to him as well. You know, we see Jesus when he was here on earth. If if there was anyone who ever had a true, intimate relationship with God, it was Jesus himself. When we look within the scriptures, we see Jesus spending more time in prayer than any other individual that we read Time and time again, early in the morning, late into the evening, often he is withdrawing to spend time in prayer with God. You know, if if you ever thought there was somebody who who didn't need prayer, 
you know, well, well, it would have been Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. No, but Jesus, because of the relationship that he shared with God, recognized the importance of communication with God. If we want to have a relationship with the Father like Jesus did, then we need to be spending the type of time in prayer that Jesus did. And this requires a greater consciousness of the presence of God in our lives from day to day. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, here we see David talking about the presence of God, of God's Spirit. In verse 7, he writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Here, David recognizes it doesn't matter where he is, it doesn't matter what time of day, God is there. God's spirit, God's presence is with us. How real is God to you? Do do you truly believe that God is here now, that God knows what we are doing, that God knows the thoughts in your mind and in your heart? You truly believe that from day to day, when, when you're brushing your teeth, when you're taking a shower, when you're driving on the way into the work, that God sees you, that God knows you, that he knows how many hairs are on your head. Many times as we go from day to day, we, we lose touch with this concept of the presence of God in our life. Brethren, God is here. And it, we need to, to more than just have an intellectual understanding of that, we need to have a genuine conviction that God is with us. And that will certainly affect our prayer lives. Think about it in these terms for a moment. Uh, Imagine maybe your relationship with your spouse. Imagine that every minute of every day, your spouse was with you. Wherever you go, they're always there. And yet, you only acknowledge their presence at mealtimes and right before you go to bed. And maybe a little bit when you're with other brethren in the assembly. How strong of a relationship would you and your spouse have? Not very strong. And yet, does that describe our relationship with God? That we only, you know, a few times a day even acknowledge that he is there. And when we do, we kind of, you know, just say the same thing that we always do. If we want to have a genuine relationship with God, if we want to set some goals in our relationship with God to come to know God, which is ultimately the goal of the Christian life, then we need to be more conscious of his presence. We need to be cultivating that relationship from day to day. We need to take time throughout our day to pray without ceasing, to acknowledge his presence within our lives, to acknowledge our dependence on him, to thank him for all that he has done and is doing for us. We need to set some serious relationship goals between us and Jehovah. He wants to have a relationship with us. And the strength of this relationship, as far as his side is concerned, is as good as it possibly can. It's up to us to then cultivate this relationship that he has offered 
to us. Let's not waste this relationship that God has provided for us. What are some specific, measurable goals that you can aim for in your relationship with God this year? But in addition to relationship goals, we need to set some character goals. The Christian life is a more than is about more than coming to know God. It is about allowing that knowledge to transform us. It's about allowing our relationship with God to affect the way that we think, the way that we act from day to day. It's about becoming more like him, reflecting his character. Have you ever been around an old married couple who has spent so much time together that they even start looking like one another, they start speaking and acting like one another? Brother, that's what... God, in a sense, desires from us that we spend so much time with him that he starts rubbing off on us. If we want to think of it in other terms as a father-child relationship, God wants people to be able to see our father in us. We need to spend time with God. We need to cultivate this relationship so that we can develop his character within our lives. Uh, it's like Acts 4 in verse 13 where the, the people look at the apostles and they realize that they had been with Jesus. People need to look at us and know that we've been with Jesus. That we have spent time in the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 18, here we see this concept. Of, of God, of our relationship with God transforming us. In contrast to God's relationship with Moses, where he had to put a veil on his face afterwards, we see here in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same glory, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. You know, just like Moses looked upon the glory of God and it affected his countenance, we need to look on the glory of God and allow it to affect us, allow it to reflect our character, and not put a, a veil over that. There is no longer a, a veil between us and God, but he has fully revealed himself to us that we might develop that character within our lives. And throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, we see a variety of, of virtue lists, a list of characteristics that we need to be developing. Opportunities for us to examine and evaluate our own lives. You think about uh, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. You think about Philippians 4.8, the different things that we need to be meditating upon. You think about Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I, I challenge you to look at that list, either the, the list and fruit of the Spirit or, or any of these virtue lists that we have, and, and truly sit down and evaluate your life. Rate yourself on 1 to 10. How, how much am I reflecting the love of God in my life? How much am I reflecting the joy of God in my life? How much am I reflecting the gentleness of God in my life? Those are fruit of the Spirit. Spending time with God, with His Spirit. In 2 
Peter, if you'd like to turn over there, we have another virtue list. And this one reads almost like an exercise regiment. Uh, you you know start off with uh, 50 crunches, and then you're you need to add some some pull-ups. You need to to add some push-ups. Uh, and here we we see him talking about things that we need to add to our spiritual lives. But notice the context of this passage for a moment. I want you to start reading with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied, multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Je- Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Here the context here, he's talking about the knowledge of God, the true knowledge of God. And then in verse 4, He says, he's granted us these things so that we may become partakers of the divine nature. Verse 5, for this reason, you need to work on these things. For what reason? So that we may become partakers of the divine nature. So that we can have a true and genuine knowledge of God that isn't just some intellectual understanding of who he is, but is a transforming experience of coming to know God in the sense that we are becoming partakers with him in his nature, in his character, reflecting his image, reflecting his glory within our lives. That is the goal. Our relationship with God, as foundational as that is, is not just an end within itself. Our relationship needs to result in continual renewal and a reformation in, in reflection of God's glory within our lives. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we're told, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Many times we, we develop such a relationship with the world around us. We spend so much time with the world around us that it starts reflecting within our lives. It starts affecting the way that we think. And we start thinking like the world thinks. We start dressing like the world dresses. We start entertaining ourselves the way that the world around us is entertained and approving of the things that the world approves of. Here we're told we need to break that. We need to rather be molded by the will and the character of God. We need to start thinking like he thinks. We need to start approving of the things that he approves of, uh, enjoying and being entertained by those things that brings joy to the heart of God. Who are we spending more time with? It's going to reflect in the character that we are developing within our lives. The character of God needs to be the directing principle of our life. We need to stop being directed by our culture and start being directed by God's character. What area of character do you need to work on? When you read these lists of virtues throughout the scriptures, which ones do you see that that you may be deficient 
in? What aspect of God's character are you not reflecting? What things that God values are you not putting enough value on? What fruit of the Spirit are you not doing a good job exhibiting? We need to make some specific and measurable goals that we can aim for in developing a more God-like character within our lives. But thirdly, we need to develop some practical goals. Setting spiritual goals is not just about the mind and the heart. It is about practical living each day. It starts in the heart. It starts in the mind. It starts in our relationship with God and his character within our hearts. But our aim can often be too generic, too vague, if we just say, well, I I want to become more like God. I I want to be more loving. And what we see through the scriptures is that we need to get a little bit more specific, a little bit more practical than that at times. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 may be a verse that we are familiar with here. We read in verse 23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So it starts with the heart. It starts with our, our, our thoughts, our, our passions, our feelings, uh, making sure that our heart is where it needs to be. But notice what he goes on to say, because he doesn't stop here. Verse 24, he says, Put away from you a deceitful mouth. And put devious speech far from you. And let your eyes look directly ahead. And let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet. And all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor the left. Turn your foot from evil. We could even go into chapter 5 and verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Yes, it starts with the heart. And most foundationally, we must be developing that relationship with God. Developing his character in the way that we think even and yet it can't end at our hearts in setting some goals setting some direction and focus for our spiritual lives we're going to have to move on from just talking about our hearts to start making some goals for our eyes some goals for our feet some goals for our mouth and for our ears in job 31 and verse 1 job as he is defending his integrity um, which we know God at the beginning of the book says that he was an upright man. We see that Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? I don't think Job is, is simply using a figure of speech here. I, I think Job had genuinely made a commitment, made a, a definite commitment. Uh, and how he would react to temptation. A commitment to avoid the temptation of lust. He had already determined in his mind exactly how he would handle a temptation such as this. He would not allow his eyes to linger where his mind should not go. We need to make similar commitments, similar covenants, uh, to make sure that we are acting from day to day the way that God wants us to act. Turn to Psalm 101. Here I think we see an example of David making a covenant with his eyes, among other things. Psalm 101 is a psalm of commitment. 
a statement, uh, a mission statement, if you will, of what David was going to do in his service to God, and specifically in his role as king. Let's go ahead and read the entire psalm. Psalm 101, starting verse 1, David says, I will sing of the loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Verse 3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. David here is determining, is committing himself to how he is going to act in his service to God and in his role. He is determining the type of people that he is going to surround himself with. He's determining the type of things that he is going to set before his eyes. Maybe we need to write ourselves a psalm of commitment. Maybe we need to make a covenant with our eyes. A covenant for for this year of what I am going to do in my service to God. A covenant that I can look back on and remind myself of what I have committed to do. That I might be pleasing in God's sight. You know, sometimes our spiritual goals can be too vague to give us any real direction or focus in our spiritual growth. I may say, well, this year I'm going to focus on being a stronger Christian. Or this year I I want to grow in my relationship with God. This year I want to be more loving, more joyous, more spiritually minded. And those are all good things. But how? How am I going to do that? We need to get beyond the heart and start determining how our spiritual goals are going to practically affect our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our feet from day to day. What is growth in these areas going to require practically? What do I need to do to change? Back to our illustration from 1 Corinthians 9 of the athlete or the competitor. Uh, You know, if, if he is aiming to prepare himself for a race, uh, he can't just say, well, I, I want to be stronger. I, I, I want to be faster. Uh, that's going to have to come down to him specifically working on some things that he might grow in those areas. For the athlete, it's even going to come down to thinking about which muscles do I need to exercise? How many reps am I going to do? How many minutes am I going to spend doing this or that? What type of diet do I need? And I'm not saying that that each and every one of us needs to be that strictly structured and organized in our spiritual lives down to a T, you know, alternating 15 minutes of prayer and 15 minutes of reading or, or anything like that. But I am saying that if we genuinely want to grow spiritually, we need to have a little bit more focus, a little bit more accountability, a little bit more direction in our spiritual lives so that we can take the necessary steps to cultivate the type of heart that we need to have for God, to cultivate the type of relationship we want to have 
with him. What covenant with your eyes, with your ears, or with your mouth do you need to make? What covenant with your time or your energy do you need to make? What boundaries do you need to set to keep your heart on the right track this year? What are some specific measurable goals that, that you can set for yourself, that you can stay accountable to, to overcome temptation, to live the way that God wants you to? But fourthly, we need to think about some action goals. We should not just set goals for what we are not going to do, but what we are going to do. Goals of service and ministry within the church and towards the world around us need to be things that we are thinking about. Time after time in the scriptures, we see talk of the importance of good works or good deeds within the Christian life. Consider Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We read, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, we see a similar statement. It says, Uh, talking about Jesus who gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Our redemption and our reconciliation was not simply an end within itself. God restored us for a purpose. He created us for good works, Ephesians 2 says. He saved us so that we might serve. He blessed us so that we might be a blessing. He reconciled us so that we could be his representatives to the world around us. Because character is not just something that we possess. Character is something that we reflect. Character is something that describes our activity from day to day. What good deeds are you involved in? from day to day and week to week. Ephesians 2 says that we were created for good deeds. Titus 2 says that we were redeemed, that we might be a people zealous for good deeds. When you look at your life, can you pinpoint any good deeds, any good works that you are involved in on a regular basis? You say, well, I I go to church. And I read my Bible and I pray, yes, by all means. We talked about the importance of doing those things, but that's not what we're asking. What good deeds are we doing as God's people? How are we serving? How are we reflecting God's love, God's compassion, and God's mercy to the world around us? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When the world looks at my life, what good deeds are they going to point to? You know, the, the world, unfortunately, is not going to glorify God because you read your Bible. They're not going to glorify God because you attend church services. They're not going to glorify God because you pray on a regular basis. And I hope we've already established the essential character of those things as we truly seek to develop a genuine relationship with God. But what we're talking about here is something more than that. We're talking about allowing that relationship with God to transform the way that we act and interact with people from day to day. 
that God's character might be evident within me because of the way that I act, because of the service that I pursue from day to day. You know, we're all familiar with the concept from James that faith without works is dead. James also says that we need to be doers of the word and not just hearers. What works is James talking about? You know, many times we, we go to that passage to make an application to baptism. Um, while certainly we can go to many other passages to see that, that baptism is essential, when James talks about works, he's not talking about baptism. James chapter 1 and verse 27, after he has just said that we need to be doers and not just hearers, he says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Does visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In your individual spiritual life, are you practicing pure and undefiled religion? These are the type of works that James is talking about here. In James chapter 2, notice in the section on faith and works, he says in verse 14, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. James isn't simply using an illustration here. He's making an application here. These are the type of works that we see him talking about. And faith without works is dead. God redeemed us so that we might be a people zealous for good deeds. He saved us, created us for good deeds, Ephesians 2. And so as we set spiritual goals, as we make spiritual resolutions, let's make sure that we are making some action goals as well. That we can genuinely pursue good deeds to reflect God's character, not just in our art thoughts and in our words, but in our actions, to pursue the type of service that Jesus would have us pursue. What are some specific measurable goals you can set for serving others this year? Are you running without aim in your spiritual life? Many times we, we set very specific goals, very specific directions for other aspects of our life. And yet, we allow our spiritual life to become an autopilot. Something that we're just drifting along with no clear goal and near, no clear focus in mind. What areas of growth do you need to focus on? What spiritual goals do you need to set for your life in this coming year? If you're anything like me, you might be saying, well, I, I need to work on all of that. But thankfully, we have a God who is patient and compassionate, who is understanding with our weakness and in our immaturity. And he is patient as we grow, as we seek to develop a stronger relationship with him, as we seek to develop his character more and more in our hearts, as we seek uh, to, to set boundaries and, and limitations to, to avoid sin around us, as we seek to pursue good deeds. So, what achievable goals can you set for this year? What, what's one thing that you can focus on, that you need to 
grow in, that you can keep accountable with. I would encourage you and I would even challenge you to set some specific, some definite spiritual resolution for the coming year. Share them with your family. Share them with the brethren here so that they can keep you accountable. Include these things in your prayers so that you can have some direction in your spiritual growth to develop into the type of servant God wants you to be. Uh, I'll go ahead and share with you this year, I'm, I'm going to be focusing on prayer as one of the primary things that I need to grow in. Um, and to be specific with that, I, I've determined that in the morning when I get up, I, I'm going to spend time in prayer before I open my phone. Uh, many times that's the first thing that I do in the morning. I'm committing now uh, that when my feet hit the floor, it starts the day with prayer. What goals do you need to set? Don't be without aim in your spiritual life. Let's be serious about spiritual growth. Maybe the resolution that you need to make this year is committing your life to the Lord for the first time. Maybe you recognize that you don't have a relationship with him that you are still in sin, that you have rebelled against God, and that you need His grace to cleanse you of that sin. If you are willing to put that life behind you, to, to confess Jesus as Christ, as Lord, by His grace, you can bury the old man of sin in back. You can be raised to walk in newness of life. You can start this race. A race that's finished line involves eternity in the presence of God. Maybe your resolution needs to involve some public repentance. Maybe you need to ask the brethren here for prayers as you seek to make some change in your life. If you are subject to the Lord's invitation, if you need in any way to make a public change, we ask that you'll let us know at this time as we sing.